electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's Essential Morning Show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod. It is Merger Monday. Big deals on Wall Street. LVMH and Tiffany are tying the knot. And Charles Schwab is officially buying TD Ameritrade. Michael Bloomberg is running for president. CNBC contributors Joanne Lippman. It's an interesting strategy, right? He's essentially a third-party candidate. And Ed Lee, think through his strategy as a Democrat for Democrats. I wouldn't be surprised if ultimately what he's trying to do is negotiate a platform for the Dems. Plus holiday traffic on the highway. Trips taking as much as four times longer, four times, 200% longer due to congestion. And at the box office. We're talking about streaming, people not going to the movies. Uh, Everyone's going to the movies over the holidays. Fandango's managing editor has some movie recs and theater bets. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. It's Monday, November 25th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up on this morning's pod, a couple of updates on stories we've had our eyes on, or ears on, if you get your squawk through earbuds instead of on a screen. Remember in October when French luxury conglomerate LVMH made a bid for New York's iconic jeweler Tiffany? Well, they upped the bid and won the very shiny prize. A big deal. This morning, LVMH, the world's largest luxury goods company, has now confirmed it has reached a deal to buy Tiffany. This has been uh, quite some time in the making. The price tag this time, $135 per share in cash, $16.2 billion total. It's the largest ever in the luxury sector. The boards of both companies approving that deal yesterday afternoon. And the transaction expected to close in the middle of next year. It'll mark the end of Tiffany's 182-year history as a standalone brand. The little blue box isn't changing, but uh, it does reflect the changes uh, to remain independent amid increasing consolidation uh, across retail and uh, adding Tiffany's portf- adding Tiffany to the portfolio will strengthen LVMH's position, of course, in watches, jewelry. The group uh, acquired uh, Bulgaria back in uh, 2011. Like LVMH T, LVTMH. TLVMH, what do you think? I would pay, how much would that cost to figure out? To the add best? a T to the. Do you, do you think they should, I think they should add a T. You think it's that important? It's, it's that valuable? It's as important as those ugly If you bags, go back and look, right? though, what is amazing is that they did get them up. I mean, this $135 price tag came up from $120, if you recall, yep. when, when, this, when, when they first went after them. And the question I think we threw out there was whether they'd get $135, bucks, could they get $140? Uh, they didn't push back. If you go back and look at Tiffany's stock, even two or three years ago, where it was relative to where it is today. So Weird. I, I mean, it's interesting. We retail. bought stuff there for baby gifts, like a little spoon. Or yes. Oh, but in general, I don't know. It's like super retail. Uh, I think 
Chinese people love in China. It's big, and Chinese tourists that come here, it's very big. Right? Do you think in the United States? I don't know. I, no, just uh, me personally. I, you know, and you go to Forty Seventh Street. I'm sure, don't you? I mean, I, I would rather go down there, Forty uh, Seventh. To haggle. Well, just where you don't pay absolute top dollar for for stuff, you know, that everybody else has. And another deal we've been following: Charles Schwab's effort to buy TD Ameritrade. As of this morning, that's done, too. Charles Schwab Corporation is going to be acquiring TD Ameritrade. This is a story we first reported last week. TD Ameritrade is now naming Stephen Boyle as the interim president and CEO. They're suspending their CEO search because, obviously, this will be taken care of with this deal. Charles Schwab is offering to issue or is going to be issuing 1.0837 shares for every TD Ameritrade share that's out there. Uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on this. Uh, Charles Schwab saying that Toronto Dominion Bank is going to be holding about 13 percent of a stake in the combined company. You can see right now Charles Schwab's shares, which ran up last week on this yep. news, are right now down by about 22 cents to 47.98. So maintaining basically the gains that they had seen last week on this when it was first announced. TD Ameritrade shares at this point indicated up by about 2.3 percent. That's a gain of a dollar 13 to 49.26 again after they saw big gains last week as well. Charles Schwab is saying that they see this. Deal being 15 to 20 percent accretive to the adjusted earnings per share in the third year, uh, in the third year of this deal. Uh, just Schwab, right? It's going to be called just Schwab. They'll just they lose the branding. It sounds like it, that's what like E.F. Hutton. The well, interesting thing, though, analysts have looked at this and said because they both have very strong trading platforms that you won't see as much of the accretion in terms of that. They'll probably keep right. both the Charles Schwab and the TD Ameritrade plan, uh, trading, op- uh, trading platforms operating right. because they don't overlap. There's some things the TD Ameritrade has, uh, like options, for instance, right. yeah. a little bit stronger. Charles Schwab has a lot of things like uh, people who will talk to you and guide you through right. some of these things. So yeah. because of that, they'll probably see, some analysts are speculating, around 40 percent in terms of the accretion that they can kind of combine and put these together with those uh, consolidated. Uh, bo- both platforms need to advertise separately on Swapbox. That is expected to be where you will see some of the... Oh, no, no, no. we got to double, double down on both Head platforms. Right. Too. Are they uh, saying anything about, I don't know if they disclosed at this point, breakup fees? I don't sort? know. I, I, I have not seen that yet. To me, the, the two issues that were... Uh, the, uh, will be interesting a breakup fee. Whether you think because this actually, you think because you think because I think there's an antitrust issue, not so much on the consumer side, but potentially uh, for for all of the uh, investment advisors out there, it really can. I mean, I think collectively they have like 60, 70 business percent networks. of the business. What'd you say? Business networks are serious antitrust. I think they're one, in, they're one in three, so they are two. I'm just suggesting so there w- there may be a look at that, and so you you care about that issue. The other issue would be about deposits that got to that used to stay at TD Bank, so. TD Ameritrade used to run all their deposits into Toronto Bank, Dominion. Yeah. To, into Toronto Dominion, that was actually a huge fee generator for TD Bank. And so, once you, if you take those out, I assume Schwab is going to want to keep those uh, deposits in their own bank, effectively. Mm-hmm. What that does to TD long term. So, these are some of the questions that I think, at least in the banking world, they're they're probably still outstanding. But I don't know. I'm gonna we'll look. We'll all look. right, merger Monday. Great deal. Some good news for holiday travelers. Gas prices down. This according to the Lumberg survey. The national average falling four cents to two dollars and sixty six cents per gallon. The drop is likely due to an increase in supply now that several refinery repair projects have been completed. Also, uh, a word of warning. AAA saying Wednesday is the worst day of this holiday week to travel with trips taking as much as four times longer, four times, 400 percent longer due to congestion. And some weather issues, too, that, are, that could be a little more difficult Wednesday. Yeah. 
Yeah. In, out of uh, on the East Coast here. Yeah, yeah. starting in Colorado and coming okay. across. Yeah. You, I don't understand the, the minivan. Yes, sir. What about it? Is there a, a hybrid model that you can buy? They make hybrid models. What do you? What do you? Oh, th- that'll make it cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or an you gotta electric. Give, you got to give up for it. We're just oh, this, I'm just wondering why you have a truck. Why the new Tesla truck? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Why? Why aren't you just springing for something electric? Because you need a minivan. Because if you the have kids a bunch need a minivan. The there's no electric minivans, or there's no uh, hybrid minivan. I think they may make one now. They're not cheap anyway. Know. Minivans by themselves cost like fifty. So grand. this is unlike so, or like so many of you that yeah. don't walk the walk when you talk about all this yeah. stuff. The vacuum cleaner. In the minivan is more important than whether it's no, it's really a safety whether it's eco friendly. If, if you buy a minivan, it's a safety issue. No, he wants one with a vacuum cleaner. That's all he cares His about. Wife wants the vacuum cleaner, but it's a safety issue. But I want the vacuum cleaner too. I Why do you spill? Because the kids have pretzels, and we, we unfortunately we have, we have people have snacks. Are there car washes? The can you, can you, the is there a car wash in the city? Brushless car wash? Like can you do it? There, there are some car washes in the city, but tough to be honest with you. I often go to Queens. Have you ever car washed wash. the car yourself? Yes. When you were younger, yes, yes okay. of course. Right. Yeah. In fact, we washed. Yes. More recently than that. Okay. It's the uh, busiest travel time of the year, but uh, not many people could travel in the style that our next guest provides. Although. More, I guess, every year. Flying private uh, is his business, and this Thanksgiving is expected to be better than ever. Here to discuss is Michael Silvestro, CEO of FlexJet. We were talking uh, off camera, so you're you're sort of analogous to uh, uh, to a, the old marquee jet, or no, not no, at all. So you're, you're similar yeah. to NetJet, only fractional. Well, we are a fractional or leasing business, Joe. So you enter into a a long-term agreement with us, and then we're on the ready to fly you however many hours you need per year. So, uh, what's the long-term agreement? How long does it last? Oh gosh, it's oh, it's only three years. So, three years. Yes, it's it's very flexible. But I would tell you that's why it's uh, called flexible. That's right. Uh, Over uh, over uh, two-thirds of our customers have been with us over five years. And almost 40% of our customers have been with us over 15 years. So a very sustainable model. Do you think that, for lack of a better term, these are one percenters or above, I would think, aren't they? They're so, one percenters, would you say? You know, it's, uh, it's certainly a point of a, right. the one percent. But what, what do you think the minimum net worth is that you really have to have? To play in this world. If you're, you're not stupid, well, spending all your money on right. flying private. So I would tell you that 60% of our business is corporate. So right. we've moved a lot of our business to a supplemental lift for okay. corporate flight departments. But, but ultra high net individuals. Yeah, those are aspirational watching right now. We're saying to themselves, you know what, I got to get to X before I even can have a conversation about this. 10 million. 10 million. For a net worth. Okay. Net worth. Well, oh, see, I thought you'd give me a number that was like 50. Well, I think that number has come down. I think as uh, people that make 30, 30, in their 30s and 40s, I think they're spending their money on private aviation sooner than the So you should be flying before. private, that's what he's saying. So, okay, so short flights, you, you have a 5,000 an hour more or less plane to take, a, a jet to take someone on two hours or less, you would sure. say? Sure. Our, our, our uh, fleet ranges from a Phenom 300, which is our light Embraer. jet, entry-level jet from Embraer, all the way up to where the launch customer for Gulfstream's new G700. No. Which could circumvent the globe someone easily. Could, someone could get a Flexjet G700. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. And what is that an hour? Uh, that's you know what? Be. It hasn't come out yet. But what do you think? <laughs> is that 12,000, 15,000? It's probably going to be around 11,000, 12,000. 11,000, Including your fixed fee. Okay. So that includes everything. That's right. If you have to ask, you can't do it. Let me just ask. This is another if you have to ask, don't ask it. But 
If you are delayed, the flight doesn't take off. If you're circling, the flight can't land. Does that all go on to the passenger? Good like, question. Like, no, but, great question. So actually, we you work with we people. help with the the other side of that, which yeah. is if you're on a long. Uh, uh, t- a takeoff delay. If you're on a ground hold before you're actually waiting to take off, right. you're only charged a ten. Yeah. What if you have to land somewhere else? Wait till the weather moves and then land in. Well, Mother Nature affects us all, so, so we try to do per- the you got to eat that. We try to do the very best. You, you and seriously, I've heard that if you're circling for a lot of these places, that that's on your dime. You got to sit and wait. Remember, though, pocket. Becky, we uh, we go to over five thousand airports as opposed to the five hundred airports for the commercial airlines. So a lot of times we're able to get in a lot quicker. Are you vulnerable to a big slowdown? I mean, could you go out of business if there was a Absolutely two-year recession? Not. No, you're fine. I would tell you that our businesses evolve more into the, to the more sophisticated long-term customer. And so I think we're as positioned for a, a next slowdown as anybody. But 5000 an hour minimum. We're all going to have to get really rich before and, it becomes... But uh, we've seen a significant trend of corporate flight departments corporate u- us- yeah. utilizing FlexJet right. for supplemental... Well, I'm health. sure because, you know, a lot of companies don't want to... Own, a lot right. of PR-wise, it's cheaper not to own a jet, sure. not a... Sure. And the confidentiality, so, you know, you can't track our tail yeah. numbers, so it has tremendous benefit. I looked into it. I looked into it. If you've got four people going, let's say it's $1,100 to go down to Florida sure. uh, per person. Because it's peak, right? It's right. Thanksgiving, so four right. bets—that's forty-five, five thousand dollars. You might be able to do it for twenty with you, which is four or five times as much. Well, it's only a couple hours down to Florida, so it's, it's two and two. So two and two oh, on a five, uh, but five thousand now. It's still twenty versus five, so it's four times as much. It's not ten times as much. No. But it, get, it starts to get close to the number of people that you play. Are you listening, Andrew? I'm listening very carefully. <laughs> okay. I'm listening very I carefully. I saw you, like, writing things down and you got your calculator out and stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> Huh? We got a whole crew going. I got twelve people over this. Over this. So think about vacation. that. Plus, you can tell them it's actually baby. Tell these other people that it costs more than it actually does, and then right. you can get your. You know, you can probably. Oh, I see. See what now I'm saying? I'm marking it up. You're not. Yeah, you're not above family. doing that. I know that. All right, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheese will be next. Up next on Squawk Pod, Michael Bloomberg is running for president. I can't imagine a billionaire is the answer to the Democratic Party's search. Is it just a bid for the White House or is it part of a grander strategy for the Democratic Party? And you wonder if it forces the Democrats to come more towards the center. That's next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Now, another story we've been following closely here at CNBC, that of former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. A few weeks ago, he hinted at a bid for the White House, and as of this weekend, it's official. The eighth richest man in the world is running for president in a party that's been pretty vocal in its criticism of billionaires. Here's Andrew. It is now official. Michael Bloomberg jumping into the Democratic race for president. The former New York City mayor announcing his candidacy yesterday in a written statement on a campaign website and a tweet that said he is running to defeat Donald Trump and rebuild America. That's uh, his 
His slogan, Rebuild America, Bloomberg planning to launch a massive ad campaign in uh, key primary states, uh, spending something on the order of $35 million. Joining us right now to get us up to speed on some of the biggest talkers of the morning, John Lippman, distinguished fellow at the Institute for Advanced Study and a CNBC contributor. Ed Lee, New York Times media reporter, CNBC contributor, and former employee of Michael Bloomberg himself. Former Mike himself, yeah. Back in the day, right? You used so, to call me up on the phone for stories, yeah. When you were at, when you were at Bloomberg? When I, was at, when I was working at Bloomberg News, he would, he would occasionally call. Um, and and uh, tell you what? Well, you know, some of those Depends. things are a bit of a trade secret, but he's, he's an incredibly charming boss. Interestingly, by the way, and I want to get right to the election, though, one of the things that Bloomberg, the company, announced yesterday is that they will not be covering... Well, they'll cover him. They'll they cover him, but they won't be doing any sort of real investigative or deep or dive. Or any this. of his other comp- any of the competitors. Well, in you the can't Democratic not field. do you can't not do him, and then also. But they said they would still continue to cover the president. So they would do investigations into the president, they but, not, but not he's not a direct the, com, he's not a direct. If Bloomberg wins the Democratic nomination, then they will stop. It is a distinction without a difference exactly. to say that yeah, you're not, you're, gonna, you're, you're going to not cover the Democratic uh, candidates, but you will cover the president. Right. They're all rivals, right? So and. I, yeah, I, I do And not. a big part of Bloomberg's sort of appeal or his way he set up his appeal is that I'm an actual businessman who's worth right. 10 times as much as... Okay, so what do we think his, his real chances are? Because I imagine there are lots of viewers of ours right. who either know him personally, have obviously worked with the company, admire him, and yet there's a whole view, uh, and there's others who don't admire him, but then there's a view that that, that crowd, if you will, and maybe it's a crowd that even watches our show is out of touch with the rest it's of America. A, it's, a, it's a niche group. He's got a lot of it's flanks to protect. He's got, a, he's got, the way I looked at it was he's got, he's, I don't know how many of the 63 million deplorables go his way, some maybe, then take Hillary's group, the then take Hillary's group, right. and how many, that, that would be fractured. Does he get half? Uh, some of Hillary's voters are, gonna, are Elizabeth Warren uh, uh, supporters probably. So he's got a lot of flanks. He's got right in the middle... He's got elitist New York types that think he's a great mayor. But uh, uh, I can't imagine a billionaire is the answer to the Democratic Party's search for Neither the perfect candidate. Warren, who is uh, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. I actually think the really interesting question here is whether he could somehow capture the younger voters. Because if you look at his philanthropic activities since leaving office in particular... It's all of the sort of hot buttons for younger voters. It's right. climate change. It's guns. coal. It's guns. Um, uh, it's it's women's reproductive health. Right. So he's kind of hitting every single hot button topic for younger. And he's voters. been doing that for years. So it's not as yeah. if something that he just all of a sudden kind of a got off. What do you make of the idea of skipping <clears throat> some of the primaries? It's, it's some it's of the early primaries. Is that as a strategy? It, it is bizarre to me. I, I'm just really curious to see like where. I mean, he has great advisors. So it's, and he's certainly not a political neophyte. Well, he's got a lot of money. For, but for, but he also would not do well oh. in those early states. So it, right. it sort of makes sense to say, okay, let's skip them. You know, but then he's going to go to Texas. Is he going to do well in Texas? Is there enough money you can spend in the early states or in Texas to where Mike Bloomberg becomes the favorite candidate? Well, the what question kind of money is, are you talking about there? Is there enough? Well, he's got all I know of the he does. money. So if he spent he, a billion dollars, not thirty million. I don't is know there? if it's about this, how much money you spend, as much as it is about can he get that cr- kind of cross enough crossover appeal that he, you feel well, that it, that people d- feel that he is. Don't you think young voters? Think, listen, what the Democrats want is somebody who you don't can think AOC Trump. represents young voters. Would AOC in in your wildest dreams ever? 
Look, the warm up to Mike Bloomberg. No, no. she hasn't that. supported Elizabeth Warren either. She yeah. well, because she's yeah. even left of her. I think, I think, I think his best she chance left is of her. I, I think the Democratic National Convention, and there's not I think a clear gonna, winner. I think there is a bigger political category. Bloomberg is a very practical person, ultimately, and I think his entering the race at this stage, with all of his money, I think he presents a formidable force at the same time. I wouldn't be surprised if ultimately what he's trying to do is negotiate a platform for the Dems. Remember, he's running within the Democratic Party, not as an independent, certainly as a Republican, right. even though he wants used to do that. So I think he's ultimately in it to negotiate whatever he can to right. either adjust. Is it the problem platform? that Wall Street likes him? Of all the Democrats out there, generally Wall Street likes and him. Well, we're in an anti-elitist moment right now. So, yes, that is a problem. But on the other hand, on right. the other hand, what he's doing here, it's an interesting strategy, right? He's essentially a third-party candidate, right, except right. he's doing it right. within and, the and Democratic Party. And you wonder if it forces the Democrats to come right. more towards the center. Yeah, I think that's where he's, he's trying running. to shift right. and then ultimately negotiate, because he'll still have that money even if he loses the Democratic primary. How do you remove the main plank of the Democratic Party that they're going to take money out of, uh, out of influencing our, our government and how you know, billionaires are going to finally pay their but fair interesting share? That's what he wants. He is an interesting kind of billionaire. I know, I know. Which I thought was surprising. Yes, with a picture of Trump Tower as he right. spoke gonna, about It's going to end badly for him. And, I, and I, like, I do like him. I see him on the golf course. But, but you think it's going to end badly? I think it's going to end badly for him. Meaning that he's not going to get no. the... But I, don't th- I, think he's, I think he's prepared for that. I think he even if he loses that, he That's will use that Maybe. to his advantage in terms right. of we're just, influencing the Democratic Party. Right. I guess he could but spend you know all what? that money just to influence the plank, but I think he wants to be president. Think he can inspire so, people? Because one of the things that's so interesting to me is very competent, very accomplished. Even in the ad they showed yesterday, he's not talking. Well, and okay. I that so, was actually very interesting. But you know something that I found really what, I, what, it, what made me think about this was as those of us in the media have all sort of intersected with him. And you've, we've seen this sort of change. He's very, for lack of a better word, adaptable, right? right. Before he ran for mayor, he was sort of a tough talking, yep. you know, really kind of sexist language kind of guy, right. towel snapping. Um, when he became mayor, he suddenly was able, in his public speeches, to have bit. a sense of humor, well, to be self-deprecating. The comes back is going to be an issue, too, because the, the cow-snapping issue that you talked about and some of the other huge things issue. Especially if you want to appeal to younger voters, right? And, and your black voters. Okay, so he had stop and frisk, which he's already apologized right. for stop and frisk, but he has not come out and apologized for his right. uh, comments about, comments about women. women. And right. I, thank you, guys, for our conversation. Anytime. He's next. Next on Squawk Pod, the Sorkin family movie reviews. Max Sorkin uh, saw Frozen over the weekend. Frozen 2. Frozen 2. Refrozen. Refrozen. Yeah. Uh, liked it. I don't know if he loved it. And other recommendations from the managing editor of Fandango. We'll be right back. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen posed that question to guests like Paul Ryan. Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon-intensity operations. 
helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. It was a record-breaking weekend for Disney. Julia Borston joins us. She's got the details on the rollout of Frozen 2. Hey, Julia. Becky, good morning. Well, Frozen 2 has set a number of records, bringing home $127 million at the North American box office. That's the biggest opening for any animated film outside the summer season. Its $350 million worldwide take is the number one global animated debut weekend of all time and the biggest opening ever for a Walt Disney Animation Studios movie. Now, this success is also proof of how Disney can expand on the power of its brands. This is actually the first time Disney has done a theatrical release of a sequel to an official princess movie in the company's history. And the weekend's success, uh, weekend's numbers show that the demand for a product like Disney Plus, which includes the first Frozen and will stream the sequel next year, it shows that people will still turn out for a Disney movie in theaters despite the fact that so much Disney and princess content is available at home for a fraction of the cost. Now, this weekend could also help jumpstart the box office for the holiday season. The annual year-to-date box office is still down about 7% from last year. Becky? Hey, Julia, the long-term impact on the box office from streaming services, what do you think? I think it's too soon to tell, but it is worth noting that the, the November box office from the start of November to before this weekend was down 27%. I don't think it's a coincidence that Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus both launched in that time frame. I think that those streaming services and all the content they offer is really just going to make the bar much higher for going um, out of the home and, and paying the money to go to a movie theater. Julia, thank you. Join us now uh, for more on Disney and other things. Eric Davis, managing uh, editor of Fandango, which is owned by CNBC parent company Comcast. We should probably get into the business side of things, but I always feel like, you know, doing the Cisco and Ebert uh, type, type <laughs> thing when, when you get in here. So I saw Irishman. I think we're going on, what, is New Year's Eve when 1917 comes out or something? I think I have a date to see with my son. Yeah, 1917, which I just comes saw. Comes out New Year's Eve? Comes out Christmas Day. Around, and around that, that and like limited. You, you say that blew you away more it, than the Irish. It Irishman. did. It did. You know, it's all one shot. It's a fantastic film. It's directed by Sam Mendes. The cinematographer on it is Roger Deakins. That's a little nerdy for people, but he won an Oscar uh, last year for Blade Runner. But it's just a fantastic film that is the kind of film that you want to see on the big screen because it's all one shot and you're literally in it from the moment it starts to what the do you moment mean one it shot? Ends. Well, the way they conceive of it is that it looks like it's all done in one shot. So right. technically, there are cuts that are hidden in there. Right. But when you're watching it, it's almost like you're just following it. You're living, it. You're living in it. It's like and that the beginning was, of what was the movie that's like that that goes on for a minute, for, for, but it really is one shot? Well, yeah. The first 10 minutes well, of, um, they did it with uh, Birdman, which won Best Picture a couple right. years ago. It's a similar concept right. where they hide the cuts. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, I like it because it's more immersive and you feel really you're in the film. And so I think this one, not a lot of people know about it yet. It's going to sneak up on people coming to the holidays. Interesting. 
You see Mr. Rogers yet? I did. I love that one, too. Just talking outside to your security man, uh, who's he's trying to figure out. He's going to go to the, the theater this weekend with his kids, trying to figure out what to do. Uh, Ford vs. Ferrari, fantastic film. No, really? Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, fantastic film. Knives Out, a fantastic film. That one uh, I want to see. All of them this Thanksgiving. Right. So we're talking about streaming, people not going to the movies. Uh, everyone's going to the movies over the holidays. Everyone's getting out of the house. But then there are certain films that are going to be, I mean, obviously the Irishman is going to be on Netflix pretty mm-hmm. quickly. There's another film that's on Amazon that's coming out with uh, Adam Driver. Um, well, that's a marriage story. That's also Netflix. Right. Adam oh, that's Driver. Netflix. That's already out. My son already saw that. Yeah, but that's on the, the, the film theaters, festival. But it's yeah. going to be. It'll be on Netflix in early December. December. But it also right. they gave it about a month run uh, in theaters. You got to take over the Frozen interview. I, I, I haven't seen so, the first okay, Frozen. So uh, Max Sorkin uh, saw Frozen over the weekend. Frozen two. Frozen two. Refrozen. Refrozen. Yeah. Uh, liked it. I don't know if he loved it. Where, where are you at? I liked it a lot. You know, I have a 10-year-old daughter who wasn't looking forward to going to see this because she associates Frozen with being a little girl in an Elsa dress running right. around. Now she's too cool for school. By the way, that was she's a little bit Max's situation, too. <laughs> but uh, she went to go see it. You know, it's a more mature story. So she, she saw it with me. She's like, Dad, I'm so surprised at how much I related to this story. Because People say it's more adult. It's more, it's more coming of age. It's more for preteens and teenagers really? uh, than it would be for the little, little ones, although they're still going to like the songs and the Olaf and all that jam. But I do think it's more for preteens. Did you do you think that was the idea of trying to take the generation yes. that liked it the first time to actually just... It was very smart. It was very smart of Disney to say, no, we're just going to write a story for the audience, the original audience that saw Frozen, versus little, little kids this time around. And so it's a more mature so how's story. the industry viewing... Um like the Irishman, could it win Best Picture, or are they still going to be frozen out? You know, it's hard. It's hard when you look at the Oscars. I think Hollywood... Uh, they don't like is, Netflix They're films. hesitant to give Best Picture to a, to a streamer. And so I think that's why you may see films like Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> that was my favorite. Dude. Which is fantastic, yeah. 1917. Yeah. Uh, you may see the, those films sort of uh, emerge as the frontrunners for that top Oscar uh, that being said, the Scorsese film is is fantastic. I, I would recommend definitely. What's cool about it is he, you know, he had plenty of time, plenty of time oh, yeah. for all the little nuances. Like, what was the fish? Who cared about the fish? Why was the fish important? But it was like the funniest part of the. But it meant nothing to anything else, did it? Yes. I'm sure. Huh? It's, well, I mean, it's also interesting, too, because he uses the de-aging technology, which I think is going to become yeah, a big Yeah, that's why it costs $160 million. Yeah, and right? it took like nine, ten months to, in post-production because of that. Uh, but I think that that technology we're going to see a lot more of in the future. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious to see Eric, how... Eric, you know to never sit in the shotgun seat. I mean, literally, the shotgun seat. Never, <laughs> ever sit there. If they tell you to sit in the shotgun say, no, I'm sitting in the back. Yeah. You know that, and right? That's why it's called when you read Shotgun. No, that's not why it's called that. <laughs> but uh, you saw, who was that? That was one of those. Don't give it away. Not in that oh, one. In the, the Godfather. Movie, kicks the movie out I was the, referring yeah. to is the player. Yes. The player opens with that, oh, one, oh, that yeah. one shot. And it's one camera. That was Cameo Heaven, wasn't it? so long. Yeah. Was yeah. that Robert Evans? That Brandis was Robert. just died. An email to, to alert That was me. Robert Evans. Robert that was Altman. Robert Altman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Robert yeah, Altman. Yeah. Right, Robert yeah. Altman. Yeah, I think the longest single take in 1917, somewhere like nine minutes long. Yeah. So I'm looking time. forward to that. So I got to see that, huh? See it. Do I need it with the fake butter on the popcorn or at home with, with the uh, Orville Redenbacher? Well, I, first of all, 1917 you see in a theater. You got to see it uh, What you eat is up to you, but I think it, you have to see it. Eric, thank you. Thank you. I like the look. Thank you. You're welcome. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. 
get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.